Good morning, church. Thanks for joining us. So glad that you can be with us. We're beginning a new sermon series that we're calling Into the Deep, an exploration of Jonah and the extraordinary grace of God. What we'll see from this book as we dive into it is that God's grace and compassion is beyond what we can even think or imagine that it cannot be measured by any of our standards. And once we think we've figured it out, he, he, he will blow our minds once again. So I'm so excited that we get to dive into this. Um, you turn your Bible to Jonah chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 1 to 4. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. That's the reading of God's word. You know, the, the popular reading of the book of Jonah it's, is particularly focused on him and the fish, right? We have been, in many ways, desensitized and reduced this beautiful book to just a fairy tale about Jonah and the whale, which is not a whale, never says it was a whale. But if we remove the veggie tales filters that we've put on this book, if we move the exaggerated kid stories that, we've, that we use to understand the book, we'll see that this book is actually rich with so many different themes that are applicable to us. This book is so much more than a fish. It's about God's grace and compassion. And I'm not talking about the popular Christian um, sermons about God's grace that seems to pacify us or, or seem to enable us in our sins. No, I'm talking about the kind of grace that confronts us. The type of grace that reveals the intentions and the conditions of our hearts. Because this grace of God does not enable us to remain in our sinful disposition. Instead, it confronts us to move towards God. So my sermon today, I want to show you that this extraordinary grace we see in this, in this text, that God speaks, God directs, right? He directs Jonah, and then God reveals the heart and the intentions of his heart, and also God confronts. This is what God does for us. He, he directs us, in his way, in his path, but he also reveals the, the intentions of our hearts, and then he confronts us with his truth. 
So first, God directs us. Again, the text starts with this very uh, important uh, 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 sentence. It says, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. In some way, that's typifying Jonah's unique status with God as a prophet, right? He had this privilege to hear from God and to dispense what he hears from God to the people, to the king. So Jonah hears this word of God. And it's in this moment that that whenever this happens, there's, there's this, you have to listen. Because divine revelation is about to, to be released. And so Jonah listens. God is speaking, so we pay close attention. For us, the scripture, right, is the primary vehicle through, through which we hear the word of God, through which God directs us. But even more specifically, we know that it's through Christ that God has spoken to us. In the first chapter of John, the Gospel of John, right, it writes about Jesus being the Word of God. He refers to him as the Word, the Logos, that God speaks through Jesus to us, and we must pay attention. We must listen to God's um, directive. So Jonah hears this word from God. And the direction, the directive God gives him is to go and preach against Nineveh because their wickedness has come up to him. If you know anything about Nineveh, Nineveh is the capital or was the capital of the Assyrian uh, Empire at that time. An empire that was known to be vile and brutal and evil. Um, it was a true enemy of the, uh, uh, of the people of Israel because they were occupied by, by the Assyrian Empire. And they were known to be one of the most wicked, evil, vile empires of that time. And God directs Jonah to go and preach against them. God tells Jonah to do something that is actually, we can assume, very hard to do. Go and share God's word to your enemies, to these hostile people. And that's what happens sometimes, that God's words to us can be very difficult for us to do, can be very difficult for us to follow. When we read the scriptures, especially when it tells us to do something that we don't really want to do, like love your enemies, that is very hard to do. But God's word directs us to do so. When God's word directs us to live in in, it sacrificially, to give and to, to, to be kind and loving to our neighbors, that's hard to do. But that is God's directive to us. And God's directive to Jonah is to go preach to his enemies. And when we hear God's word, when we hear God's directive, it's not, the onus is not just for us to listen, but also to obey. 
also to respond. And our response usually reveals the intentions and the motivations of our hearts. That leads me to my second point. God reveals the intentions of our heart. In Hebrews 4.12, it talks about the word of God. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and of marrow, and, the discerning, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. God's word is sharper than the sharpest sword. That's pretty much what it's saying. And it's able to discern our hearts, our intention, and our motivations. It exposes what it's already there. And this is the absolute case for Jonah. Because when he hears God, God's words, God's directive, what does he do? Verse 2 tells us he runs away. He runs away. Which honestly I think is a bit comical. He runs away from God. I'm, I'm sure for the readers at that time, when they're reading this, they're thinking, Jonah runs away from God? How's that possible? Because we know in Psalm 139, it says, where can I flee from God's presence? Where can I go from his presence? If I make my bed in Sheol, he's there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Wherever Jonah goes, he is there. So how can he run away from God? How can we run away from God? When no matter where we go, he is there. Despite this fact, Jonah, in direct disobedience to God, runs away. Text tells us that he sails for this place called Tarshish. Now get this, Tarshish is thousands of miles away from Nineveh. This is the westernmost part of, the, of their known world at that time. He takes a ship, a boat, directly opposite of where God tells him to do. Oh, just like complete utter disobedience against God. And you might wonder, why such blatant disobedience? Why such blatant act, this kind of act? Why would Jonah do this? I mean, the text we read doesn't tell us really what he does. And we'll see further in as we explore this series why, specifically why he does that. But we won't get there yet. But we know this, that Jonah was asked to do something that was so difficult. Something that was so hard for him to do. And that is to deliver God's word to a hostile people, to an, a hostile enemy. He's asked to do something he did not want to do, so he rebels against God. And he runs away. It makes me think about kids. Uh, sometimes I like watching videos, and I'm sure you see it sometimes. Kids, when parents are trying to um, help them 
take them, you know, get them to sleep, take their naps, and they don't want to take the naps. If you've seen the videos, parents, you know this with your kids. You're trying to make them go to sleep and they're fighting against you. And it's like, come on, if, if you only knew that this is good for you, if you take your nap, you will feel so much better when you wake up. But no, they refuse. They fight it. They resist it. And parents, you have to deal with kids are crying because they don't want to sleep. And hopefully, finally, they fall asleep, but it, not after a lot of fight, fighting. They're resisting this. Why do, why do we do that? I think we all do that too. Why do we resist God? Why do we run away from God? I think it's simply because God's vision for our lives does not align with what we want for our lives. Right? We have built up our own particular visions for what we want, for how our lives should look like. Some of us, we know where we want to land 10 years from now. We have particular visions for what our life should look like. And when God is directing us a different way, we refuse him. When God has directed us to live a certain way in, in truth and righteousness, we refuse him. When God has directed us to seek him and to, to trust him, we refuse that. And we live our own lives the way we want it, we want. So we go to our own Tarshish, the place where we disengage, the place, place where we live and we escape and live in apathy against God. It's like going to Vegas. <laughs> right? God's rules does not apply here. I can go on living in my own apathy, in my own sins, can go on living the way I want to live. What is God showing us here? What is God showing Jonah here? Just how prone we are to wander from him. How easy it is for us to turn our backs from him in our own self-righteousness. This reminds me of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own wicked ways. We want to do our own thing. We want to do our own thing and we find ourselves living in disobedience against God. So the question I have for you, what, in what way have you found yourself now living in disobedience against God? What are, what are the visions of your life that are in direct opposition um, against God's vision for your life? What are the destructive habits that you have picked up that you need to admit to? What are the things in your life that is just not the way God is calling you to, 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 to live? I think all in all, our sinful dispositions, our, the habits, the destructive habits that we've picked up, um, the way that we have called, we, we, we think we should live our life simply means that we just don't trust God's way. 
I think this is what it all falls down to, that we don't trust God's way. We just want to go along doing our own thing. We want to rely on our, on, on our own abilities to carve out our future, our own intellectual reasonings for, for, for turning away from God. We've come to rely on ourselves and simply made God like an old dusty, dusty Bible hidden in our library somewhere. When it comes to our parent, parenting our kids and their future, we just, it's, it's so hard for us to trust God and to give them to God. When it comes to our own future and our own career paths, we, it's, it's diff- we don't trust God with it. So we create our own paths. And because we don't trust God, what do we end up doing? We veer off on our ships to go on to our own very Tashish. But thankfully, because of God's infinite mercy, because of his love and compassion for us, he confronts us. He confronts us to bring us back to his own path, to the way that we should live. And that leads to my last point. God confronts us. The infinite mercy of God, through the infinite mercy of God, he directs us, he reveals our hearts, and he confronts us. Confronts us. This is where it hurts a little bit. And this is where we see Jonah in the storm. Because of his utter disobedience of God, God sends a storm that completely derails and exposes his futile plans to run away from God. Right? Verse 4 says that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and it threatened the, sh- the ship. This is one of the beautiful things that we'll see in this book. But God uses different things, different people, different situations to redirect, to reorient us back to him. The storms and the difficulties, the difficult circumstances that we may find ourselves in simply are God's way of redirecting us back to him. Some can say that even this pandemic is, 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 is one of those things where we, we're experiencing this great reorientation where we see that we are not in control of our lives as much as we thought we were. It exposed this idol of control and security, our lack of trust in him and our desire for autonomy and self-expression. But to be clear, though, I have to say this first, that trials and difficult circumstances are not really all caused by sin, right? That's not a biblical idea. Maybe because you're in a difficult time, it doesn't mean that it was because of sin. That's not what I'm trying to say, and that's not what the Bible says. However, every sin has consequential realities that we have to deal with and face. That our lack of trust in God can sometimes make us more anxious than we need to be, more frantic, more hurried, more in despair 
And for Jonah, we see also one, uh, uh, one, of, one of the big consequences of, this, of his sin was the storm. But it was not just that. As we see in verse 5, he says, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo into the sea, into the sea and light, that it lightened the ship. Jonah's sin did not just affect him, but it affected people around him. This is an important lesson for us, that our sins, our disobedience against God, our destructive habits that we sometimes pick up, not only affects us, but it affects um, those around us. It not only disconnects us from God, but it disconnects us from the community around us. But the storm God uses is to help, it's to help, to help us, to humble us, to turn away from our, our sinful ways and to turn towards God, to turn away from our lack of trust in him and to actually trust in him, to come to him in prayer, in desperation. The storms help us turn to God. In Tim Keller's book, uh, The Prodigal Prophet, he talks about a story, just uh, uh, kind of like a fairy tale story, about a wicked witch who lived in a remote village. And whenever travelers were passing by and looking for lodging, she would offer them a meal and a bed, a comfortable bed for them to stay. But for some reason, the bed, she put some kind of deep magic in the bed that when you fell asleep and you were comfortable and the sun came up in the morning, the, the travelers, the visitors will then turn into stones. And she would use those stones as um, statues for her place. And then the, this witch had a servant that um, was forced to kind of serve her. And one of those days, a young traveler was passing, passing by. And again, he was given a meal and a comfortable bed. But this servant girl saw all the witch was doing all this time and wanted to help this young traveler. So you know what she did? As the traveler was sleeping, she threw stones in the bed. She threw sticks in the bed so that the travel, traveler would not sleep so that the travel, traveler would not be comfortable. And she kept doing that, and the traveler kept waking up every single time. The bed was just not comfortable enough for, for the traveler. So it was morning, and he got up, because again, he didn't sleep comfortably, and he wasn't able to be uh, torn, turned to a stone. And as he was leaving, he told the young servant, how could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones? How can you make my sleep so difficult? And he went on his way. The young girl said, this is what she said, ah, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought you. 
Those were my sticks and stones of love. Sticks and stones of love. When God confronts us with a storm, when God confronts us with difficult situations, he's not doing that to condemn you. He's not doing that to shame you. He's not doing that to put you down. He's doing that out of love. He is confronting you with the truth, with the life and the better way of living. He's trying to redirect and reorient you towards him. So even now, many of us, many of you might be experiencing a storm in your life. This is, this is an opportunity to turn to God. To turn away from your sinful habits. To turn away from your lack of trust in him and simply to turn to him. God's infinite mercy, through his mercy and his grace, he directs us, he reveals our hearts, and he confronts us with a better way of living. My friends, may we turn to God today. May we learn to trust him, that even in the midst of difficult situations, we know that God is with us. God is directing us. So would you join us even now as we respond in worship and song?